0: Good morning, and welcome to this edition of Bookends, the monthly Meet the Author session from the Team Approach. I'm Susan Stam with the Team Approach, and I'm very excited to have Rich Meese as my guest today on Bookends. Rich is the author of SCORE, Super Closers openers, reviewers, and energizers. At the end of our discussion today, I will be sending you one of the activities from this book and sharing a special offer that Rich is making to any of our listeners interested in purchasing his book. Grab a pen and paper to capture some of Rich's great ideas in this session. The the introduction to score was written by Bob Pike who makes a few painful assessments about classroom management I'd like you to consider as we begin today. As you listen to these observations, think of yourself in the classroom and ask yourself, what percentage of time is each of these statements true for you? Number one. Most trainers don't close, they just run out of time. Number two, most trainers don't open, they just begin. Number three, the same is true for reviewing, it just doesn't happen. Number four, most trainers don't re-energize their participants who can lose focus in the classroom. As I read these statements, I found them to be more true for me personally than I'd really prefer to admit, especially to my colleagues. In today's edition of Bookends, Rich is going to remind us of things that most of us probably know but we don't put into practice consistently. He'll be giving us fresh ways of performing these important classroom management techniques. I'd like to introduce Rich Meese. Rich has played a key role in the HRD industry since 1972, having held executive positions with Personal Dynamics Institute, Carlson Learning Company, and the Bob Pike Group. He has personally trained over 50,000 trainers and leaders and conducted workshops in 150 cities in the U.S., Canada, Mexico, Europe, and Asia. Rich works with Bob Pike in creating and delivering innovative training programs at both the organizational level and the personal level. An inspiring speaker, Rich delivers keynote addresses each year to business, organizations, and trade associations. He is an active member of the National Speakers Association and the American Society of Training and Development. And he is frequently presented at national conferences to his peers and colleagues. His clients include organizations such as BMW, Southwestern Bell, Chrysler, and Nike. Rich has worked and co-authored training programs with Bob Pike, Dr. Dennis Waitley, and Dr. Michael O'Connor. He has published numerous articles in trade journals and is the co-author of the book, Warming Up the Crowd. Today we're exploring his book, Score, which contains 67 activities and exercises to spice up your training. And you can get a copy of this book by calling Rich directly at area code 952. 446-1586, and we'll be providing Rich's contact information as well as an exercise from his book to everyone attending today's session immediately following the session. Rich, we welcome you to bookends, and I'm going to turn it over to you to begin our session with one of the great openers from your book, SCORE.
1: Thank you Susan. It's wonderful to be with you and Rick and uh, the team approach. And first of all, let me just say congratulations on a great idea. I love the Meet the Authors uh, series that you're doing and I know I'll be on some of these as well in months to come. But it's a real joy for me for me to be on this call. I heard some names that I know as people introduce themselves and so it's great to be with friends and hopefully some new friends as well as we work through this hour together. I have been involved in the training field for 30 years, and it's been my experience that most trainers do make the mistakes that you mentioned earlier, Susan, that our tendency is to not open, not close, not review, not energize as much as we could or should, sometimes because of time constraints, sometimes maybe because we don't know what to do. So my goal today, I guess my promise to the listeners is that I'll share with you at least a dozen immediately practical usable ideas and my promise is that you'll take two or three that you can begin to use Monday morning if you're in front of a group of people. So I'd like to open with an opener for all of you listening. If you have access to a piece of paper and a pencil, grab that. If you're driving, please don't. (laughs) And, uh, And what I encourage you to do is one of two things. Number one, if you're wearing a watch, please slip it off. Put it face down on the table or slip it in your pocket so that you cannot see it. Or if you don't have a watch, I'm sure you have a cell phone handy. Uh, Put that someplace where you can't see the face of that phone. I got it. And and, uh, what I'm going to encourage you to do is just take 30 seconds, and to the best of your ability, draw your watch, cell phone, putting in as much detail as you possibly can. No detail is too small to overlook. I'm going to give you just 30 seconds to draw either the face of your watch or the face of your cell phone. No fair peeking. Go. So for those of you that have had a chance to do your drawing, before you look at your watch or your cell phone, I encourage you to write down a guess. What percent of the detail do you think you got correct? Twenty percent, sixty percent, eighty percent, and so having done that, what I encourage you to do now is take a look at your watch and or the face of your cell phone and see how much of the detail did you actually get correct. Did you miss anything? Did you add anything that's not there? So I'm gonna go ahead and ask for a few folks to unmute and here's what the question is that I would ask in a training session. By the way, this would be an activity that I would use in a variety of training sessions, especially when I wanna make the point about, well, rather than me telling you, let me ask you, what might be some learning points Today is really aimed at people who do this work, trainers, facilitators,
0: presenters.
1: What would be some learning points from the watch exercise in terms of drawing it that I could make about, say, adult learning or presenting training and facilitating? A couple people would be willing to share. I'd appreciate that. How unfamiliar we are with familiar things. Thank you, Hal. That's Mark Finfrock, by the way. Oh, I'm sorry, Mark? Yes. Thank you, Mark. Yeah. How unfamiliar we are with familiar things. Here's a a technique that I'll often use if I have a group coming in who may have some exposure to the topic, and they might be coming in with a been there, done that, got the t-shirt kind of an attitude, and I like to use the watch activity just to exactly the point that Mark just made, is that people feel like they know this stuff, and yet very often they're not all that familiar. I might ask at this point. so. How many times would you guess you look at your watch each day? People would make some guesses, and then I always share the story of walt disney who said who who did actually did some studies with his executives and discovered that the average exec looked at their watch about sixteen times a day and that 's when he came up with a Mickey Mouse watch to remind mm-hmm. his executives to make sure to keep it fun. That was one of their main objectives of of their business obviously it is one of their main objectives is to keep it fun but the watch exercise is a great way to make some of those points the other thing that i ask people to do at this point and if you're willing to do it just for the duration of this call i'd appreciate it if you're wearing a watch slip it off and put it on the opposite wrist and or i ask folks that are wearing a cell phone it on one side of your belt slip it off put it on the opposite side of the belt or slip it in a a different pocket. And for the duration of the time this morning, we'll ask you to do that. Well, the point I make with that is that usually when we're in a training session, it's about change. It's about asking people to try something new, to do something differently. And I always ask people, how does that feel on that wrist or on that opposite side of the belt? And of course, people say it feels uncomfortable, weird, strange. And so as a reminder, that change for a while is going to be a bit uncomfortable. Keep your watch or your cell phone in this opposite place. So, Susan, there's a quick example of one of, I think, 15 openers in the book. It's one of my favorites. Um, I will use that fairly often. It's quick. It makes some good learning points, and typically I like to draw those out of the audience, as we did here.
0: I think what you've illustrated for us, you know, a a lot of times we feel that we're so rushed, it seems like the amount of time that we're given to do training events today has been condensed, you know, further than ever. And we all saw that with, within a very short period of time, we're able to pro- provide a powerful opening and, and certainly the example that you've provided for us, uh, the opening activity with the, the watch, would lend itself to many applications, Rich, and thank you for sharing it with us. As, as you discuss openers in your book, you make the point that you never get a second chance at a first impression. Why is this so important in the classroom?
1: Well, I really believe that this is an area where we often miss the boat. We don't recognize the importance of first impressions, of the way we began, even of the way the room is set, the environment in the room. One of the things I always encourage trainers to do is what I call five sense, the training room. So what can you do to add more of the senses, getting up some visuals, having some food and drinks in the room if possible, Uh, Maybe something like the smelly markers, the Mr. Sketch markers on the tables. Anything you can do to get the senses involved is going to help the learning process. So all of those first impressions are so critically important, even the way the room is set, making sure people have good sight lines, all of those types of things, and being careful not to overset the room. In other words, if you're expecting 30, set it for 25. Much better to add a chair or two than to have a room set for 30 and have 18 people show up and all of a sudden it looks like, oh, you know, he didn't get as many people as he must have anticipated. So those first impressions are critical. Obviously, dress is important. We, We always share the guideline, dress one step above what you expect your audience to dress. So if they're going to be business casual, I'll wear a sport shirt and a sport coat but then it's pretty easy to slip the sport coat off. But that whole idea of those first impressions, and the opener that I just shared would be an example of that, starts strongly. Tony Buzan, who is well-known in the adult education circles, he's actually an Englishman, by the way, B-U-Z-A-N, Tony Buzan, suggests that what people hear and learn makes the most impression, and they tend to remember that best. So that first impression really is critically important.
0: Excellent, thank you. I, I was intrigued by the way you laid out the book score and uh, you used in each of the activities that you share in the book, you use the acronym PATS MBA. Uh, I was wondering if you could tell us about this format perhaps using the watch exercise that you just shared with us as your, your opening exercise.
1: Thanks, Susan. Yeah, we we really wanted to make this a very practical book. I wanted a book where a trainer could grab this off the shelf a day before they're doing a training session, go to the index, and say, okay, I need an opener, Uh, there's 15 different openers here, which of these kind of looks intriguing, then go to the page. So the draw the watch exercise we have on page 38, and as you suggested, we use a formula, uh, it's an acrostic really, Pat's MBA. Pat White, this is for you. (laughs) And uh, Pat's MBA stands for P, Purpose. So you have to have a purpose for an activity. One of the reasons trainers don't use openers, closers, reviewers, and energizers is they often feel like, well, people will think I'm playing games. So there always needs to be a purpose. And so, for example, the purpose of the watch exercise is to have participants draw a common object but use the exercise to make a variety of learning points. So let me go through all of Pat's MBA. Purpose, the second is audience. So we give folks a sense of what size audience, what kind of a session or meeting could this be used in. The T is time. In the case of the draw your watch activity, it's a three to seven minute activity. So for those of you doing shorter sessions, two to three hours and so forth, you could even use it in that type of an act. The S is space so how much space would you use or need to use for this type of activity and we run the gamut from no space extra space needed just you know the person at their chair or at their table to you need you know a big part of the room so that's pats pats purpose audience time and space mba is materials budget and application so what materials do i need obviously for the watch activity it's simply a pen and a piece of paper uh, budget minimal you know, some paper is pretty easy. And then, of course, the application. Uh, Here's a great exercise that you can use when you want to emphasize that participants can learn something new regardless of how experienced they are with the content. And then, Susan, what we do is we give them the process. So, for example, I'm looking at the watch exercise right now in front of me. There are 14 steps to that activity. And believe it or not, just The way you say things or don't say things or missing one little piece will make a big difference. So we lay it out very specifically so that the first time or two a trainer is doing this, they might even want to have the book in hand and and read through it so that they're not missing something. We end with cautions. Are there any cautions about this? The caution I give on this one, as I've learned recently, is that up to half my audience won't have a watch on anymore. Mm -hmm. People are using their PDAs or their cell phones for their watches, and so I'll invite them to draw the face of their cell phone. And then there's also a, a piece in the book called Variations. So what are some variations? And I give the example of telephone training, sales training. Have people draw the face of a telephone, put the buttons down, and then they have to come up with what letters, numbers, symbols go with each button. And again, make the point that even though we use the telephone all the time, it's amazing how unfamiliar we are with that. So Pat's MBA plus the process, the cautions and the variations give people, I think, a nice way to grab that exercise and begin to use it immediately.
0: I think that gives us a real good sense of the richness of of what you've created here and, uh, you know, the the ability to use one particular exercise such as the draw your watch in a variety of applications. And, um, and and it's just, it's just, the whole book is just really rich this way. And uh, On page 31 of your book, Rich, you, you share your personal formula for a successful opening exercise, uh, which you call AIM, A-I-M. Can you tell us about AIM?
1: Yes, thank you. First of all, the A is attention, and we talk about getting the attention of the group, but not just attention, it has to be positive attention. So, this goes back to the earlier question about first impressions. Make sure your first impressions are very good, but positive attention, again, is something that's going to engage the participants, etc. And um, I, I use the example in the book. I heard Zig Ziglar speak a number of years ago, and he said, it's very important to get the group's positive attention. He said, I could walk out here in the nude this morning, and I certainly have your attention, but it may not be positive attention. Mm. So whatever we do in those opening moments needs to be directed to positive attention. I'm amazed, for example, how many times I hear trainers or facilitators start by saying something like, well, I got lost on the way over here, and I'm not quite prepared, and <laughs> or I didn't sleep very well last night, or, and they start by apologizing. And unless I tell I tell presenters and trainers, unless you know you've torn the right sleeve off of your jacket coming into the room, that is so obvious that you need to say something. You don't have to tell the group about all of your internal struggles. They're for that. They're there for their benefit. So make sure to answer the WIPM question: What's in it for me? That's what we should do in that A or attention phase. The I of AIM is involvement, and Again, I'm amazed at how much we slide whip people today. Uh, we call it fondly death by PowerPoint, or as a colleague said recently, I love this, killing me micro <laughs> with PowerPoint. Yeah,
0: that's great. So one of the
1: suggestions that we make here, what can you do to engage people involving them, not only mentally, but also physically? And so my request to trainers and facilitators, especially anything over 45 minutes, What can you do to get people more engaged and more involved physically? And so that watch activity would be one example of that where very quickly within the first three minutes after maybe my agenda, my objectives, and a couple of logistical things, I'm into an activity where they're drawing, they're writing, they're discussing, and it gets them involved, again, both mentally and physically. And then the M is the meaning part. And that suggests that the opening always needs to answer that WFM question. What's in it for me? Why should I be here? What's the value of this? So notice, for example, as I started this call, I'm going to share with you at least a dozen ideas about adult learning. My promise is that there are two or three you can take and begin to use next Monday. So that was my attempt, at least, to get that WFM question answered for this group. So aim, attention, get their positive attention, involve them, both mentally and physically and create meaning by answering that wisdom question.
0: That's great. Thank you. Let, let's move on to reviewers. I have to admit that my personal de- uh, greatest deficiency probably is is this area. As I read your book, I became more painfully aware of this. And uh, I think that this is probably true for a lot of us uh, that are trainers today. And I, I think that, that secretly we dread having to rehash material. We just um, We don't like that. We know that participants don't like it. But your book really helped me to see reviewers in a new light. Uh, On page 65, Rich, you share some roles or principles that you live by in the classroom with regards to reviewing material. Would you be willing to share these with us?
1: Sure would. And obviously, again, everything we do is done for a purpose. So the purpose here, just to give you a bit of the background and theory, is the study from Albert Morabian at UCLA where he talks about material covered one time is only gonna be retained at about a 10% or less level. And he suggests that in order to help people really get it, we need to hit it six times with what he calls interval reinforcement. So I don't just say something and repeat it five more times, I find a way to weave it in throughout the training session. And I agree with you, Susan, this is an area where most of us as trainers probably don't do a good enough job And again, before we talk about some key elements of review, one of the best things I've learned in my work with not only Bob Pike but other great trainers around the country Mm -hmm. is to break your content down into three sections. And the first section is basically, what do your participants really need to know, feel, or do when they leave this training session? Because remember, that's what training is. It's defined as helping people develop knowledge, skills, and attitudes that are going to help them in their jobs, in their lives, whatever. So what do they need to know, feel, or do as they, what's the most important need-to-know content that they're going to be uh, needing as a result of this session? Then then a second section can be called nice-to-know. If I have time, if there is interest in a certain topic, can I put some things in a separate section of my workbook or my materials called nice-to-know And then we always have a reference section. We call it where to go. How do I get people to be thinking about where else they can go for additional resources? And so one of the keys to being able to review is just breaking your content down. Most of us are fire hosing people with content. And here's the key concept. Just because you said it doesn't mean they learned it. Hmm. Just because you said it doesn't mean they learned it. Any of us that have kids or grandkids would know this, right? But also in the training classroom, Moravian's research says, hey, you hit it one time, they're going to remember less than 10% of that. So we need to review. We need to revisit, and we like that word even better. Review kind of signals that I'm going to cover it again as the instructor. Revisit says let's get the group going back through it. So the principles for review is start early and often. In other words, if you have key content hit on it a number of times, we suggest avoiding the R word. So we don't call it review. Because what does the human brain think when it hears review?
0: Boring, Boring.
1: <laughs> and they're done that, etc. So, do a lot of it, don't call it that, and then use a variety of ways to do it. Mm-hmm.
0: Excellent. Your your book made reviewing so much fun that I wish this medium lended itself more to actually experiencing some of the great reviews that you have put in the in the in the book. Uh, but since it does not, would you be willing to describe for us the balloon reviewer? Uh, this is found on page sixty-eight of your book.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Um, one of the things we want to do is, to do in the book is have a variety that includes time, how much time people had for these different exercises. It could all, it would also be a variety in terms of, could I just take this and immediately use it, or is there a little bit of prep time involved? And then also from a cost standpoint, almost no cost to, well, you'll need to get a few materials to do this one. The, the balloon one is kind of in the middle of those. It's a little bit longer review. If, this would be great, for example, um, we work with a lot of trainers in the pharmaceutical or medical equipment industry that are bringing sales reps in for two weeks of training. So you got people in rooms for two weeks. Gosh, they run them eight, 10 hours a day in my experience. And so you need things that are active and engaging. So here's about a 10-minute review. It does require a little bit of material and a little bit of upfront preparation. So imagine that I'm doing a sales training class. I I get some 12-inch balloons and permanent markers. The Sharpie is probably the best for this. What you do is you blow up the balloons, tie them off, and then with a permanent marker you can actually write your review questions right on the balloon. So, for example, what are the six steps of the ink sales process that we teach here at XYZ? Um, what is one of the most important first steps of approach or first uh, things to do in the approach step, etc.? So you write a, a series of questions on balloons, At some point, let's say it's day two or late in the day and you just need some energy and you also want to do a review activity, you get the balloons out, you get people standing, they start batting their balloons around the room. When you yell, stop, they grab whichever balloon is closest to them. And then quickly going around the room, the person reads the question on the balloon and it gives everybody a review. It's obviously energetic. We give a variety of variations in the book. For example, you can play several rounds, you can award points, uh, there's even a way to play a baseball game with, with this particular activity. The other thing I've found on this one is that sometimes people say, well gee, that means I'm either carrying a bunch of balloons to a place or blowing them up You know, when we get there, that kind of a thing, um, and having to write all these questions on them. Sometimes if you just write questions on a slip of paper and a small slip of paper and slip it inside the balloon and then blow it up, it accomplishes the same thing, but you're not having to do all that writing, you know, at the, at the location. But it's an example of a medium time element, a little bit of cost, a little bit of preparation time, one of the activities. But again, you're doing those key things of getting people actively engaged. There's physical movement, physical activity, and also reviewing that content multiple times.
0: So much fun. Thank you. Uh, Earlier, you you shared your rules for effective reviewing with us, uh, Rich, and uh, variety is one of those rules. And I was really impressed with the wide variety of approaches for reviewing in your book. Um, Just an excellent resource for any trainer. Could you tell us about uh, another of the reviewer activities, which is called Find a Word Bingo, and this is on page 72.
1: Well, if you're a good American, you love bingo, right? (laughs) Or at least that's what we used to think. We have now found that sometimes we even have to explain how bingo works.
0: (laughs) For our millennials, what's bingo? (laughs) We're we're
1: getting uh, such diverse audiences today, which is wonderful. But find a word bingo would be an example, again, of a way to cover content. What uh, this requires, again, is a little bit of prep time, basically taking a piece of paper, writing B-I-N-G-O at the top, And then a a bingo grid, of course, is five by five. So what you need to come up with are 25 key words or concepts that are going to be covered in the session. The example we use in the book is new employee orientation. So there would be a variety of words. For example, under the B line we have sick pay, 401k plan, job title, parking, and emergency procedures. And then under INGO, there are five additional words or concepts that would be covered in the class. And so, as, let's say it's a one-day new employee orientation class. As you start the class, you let them know that, uh, by the way, as you start the class, everybody gets a copy of a bingo sheet. And then you let the participants know that throughout the class, you'll be sharing important information that they will need to be a productive employee tell them you've created a bingo game which will help them learn and remember important things about their job. We generally like to have a little fun with this and give people M&Ms or some type of candy Skittles or something that they can use as their placeholders on the bingo card. And then as we go through the day, each time you cover a concept, they cover one of the places on their card at some point somebody's going to yell bingo you ask them to stand their job is then to share the five words or concepts that are under their covered spaces and tell us what does that concept mean or you know what are our hours here at xyz or what is the sick pay benefit that kind of a thing so again it makes it engaging it's fun you got the sweet the sweets there for the people that like the sweet tooth kind of a thing And uh, most importantly, you're covering and reviewing content that you want them to remember.
0: Absolutely. It's a tricky, creative way to get at reviewing without it being dull and boring. The the next area of your book is energizers. Uh, Why are energizers so important? And what are the two kinds of energizers you use in the classroom?
1: Yeah, thanks, Susan, and I want to get the group involved again because I know it's been a while. But to answer your question, we suggest there are two types of energizers. One is what we call mental stimulators, and that includes things like quizzes, like trivia, um, any type of, of activity that's more mental in nature, but it gets people energized, something that people have fun with or enjoy. And then there are what we call physical activators, and those, of course, are just things to get the body moving. The uh, purpose of those is to get blood flowing, keep the, the blood flowing to the brain so that the brain can learn. Um, mental stimulators, though, are just uh, kind of a fun thing because there's a whole variety of things that we use here. For example, for my boomer friends, we have a page that talks about uh, things that you should remember, uh, you know, if you grew up in the 50s and 60s. So. I'm going to have a few of you unmute your phones here, and um, if you're a, someone who who probably is going to know popular culture from the 50s and 60s, I want you to shout these out. So, some of my fellow boomer friends. 50,
0: so, so, boomers, unmute your phones so that you can participate with Rich. Uh, please, I know there's some boomers on the call, and I, so please unmute your phones.
1: So these are some examples of what we call a popular culture memory test from the 50s and 60s. Uh, so the first one is name the four Beatles: John, Paul, George, and Ringo. All right. <laughs> that one is right there. I get a kick out of uh, my daughter's generation who says, you mean Paul McCartney was in a band before Wings? <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, here we go. Finish this line. Lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. Hey kids, what time is it? It's howdy duty time. Howdy duty time. <laughs> so uh, that would be an example. There are two oh, about 15 of those questions, and we just find that people there, there's kind of a a pleasant memory that comes over people. So it just creates this kind of fun mood in the room. Uh, we also, for example, have oh some stuff from the 1990s to bring it into a little more present day. So. Um, 1990s movie memory test, if a couple of you want to unmute un- on this one as well. Um, where did these lines or phrases come from? Um, party on, Wayne. Wayne and Garth. Wayne's
0: World. World. Wayne's, World.
1: Wayne's, Wayne's World. World, very good. Um, Houston, we have a problem. Apollo 13. Very, very good. Let's kick some alien butt. Ghostbusters. That's actually Will Smith, Men in Black. Oh. Okay. So, um, so thanks for doing that. This would be just some examples. Susan, I do want the group as a whole to grab a pencil because I do have a question that I'm going to ask everybody to write an answer to. Excellent. And this, again, would be an example of using trivia, but then using it to make a point. Now, the examples I just gave, the mental stimulators with boomers or up to the more present-day age of... TV, movies, Who Said This?, uh, popular culture, things like that. Largely, those are designed to get people to relax, to have fun. We all know that we learn more when we're having fun. We won't go into all the medical stuff, but we know today, for example, that the body body releases endorphins when people are laughing and enjoying themselves, and those endorphins um, give us an, an extra boost of energy. They also create a more appropriate learning environment, that kind of a thing. But one of the trivia questions that I'll ask people, and I'll ask all of you to write to your best guess down on this one, is I always ask people how many enjoy watching the Olympics. I usually get, you know, a bunch of hands going up. And then I ask them this question, what events at the Winter Olympics, if anybody watched in Torino or Turin, Italy a couple of years ago, just about right now, this time two years ago, what events at the Winter Olympics cost the most to get into. And I get some great answers from ice skating to hockey to bobsledding to you know, all the different things. Uh, somebody usually says curling and we get a little laugh out of that. But then usually somebody will say opening and closing ceremonies. And of course that's the right answer. So here's the trivia question I want you to all write down, a guess. Two years ago, Turin, Italy, Torino, Italy, what was the average price, understand there was a range of ticket prices from low to high, but what was the average price in U.S. dollars, we're not talking scalper's fees here, we're talking face value of the ticket of one seat at either the opening or closing ceremony. Please write your answer down. I'm going to ask a couple people to unmute here again and give me some guesses. So, what would you say was the average price of either opening or closing ceremonies at the Winter Olympics? 1 seat US dollars. Who's got a guess? 250. 250. 10? 300. Thank you. 2,000. 75. And and this is pretty typical. Thank you. We get we get some Generally, uh, lower guesses, will get a couple of higher guesses. The price range was 400 to $1,350. Wow. So if my math is right, the average price is $875. <laughs> and, Susan, here's the point I like to make. What in the world would cause 60, 70, 80,000 people <laughs> to pay that kind of money to attend an opening or closing event? And usually somebody says, well it's a i mean it's a party it's it's huge it's an i mean it's a celebration and of course that's the right answer. There's music, there's dancing, there's pray to the athletes, there's fireworks, the lighting of the torch, and then at the back end, the closing, it's all of those things kind of in reverse and my whole point again is the importance of opening and closing so that's a quick example of a mental stimulator. But I can also use that to make a point. And I tell trainers, so, here's the point. You need to think as much about that opening and closing as Olympic organizers are thinking about that in order to get better results in the Olympics. Here's what they know. If they screw up once or twice in the middle, remember, primacy and recency, people tend to remember best that which they learn first or uh, or next best that which they learn or are exposed to last. So let's make sure we're starting strong and ending strong. So there's an example of uh, how we use a mental stimulator to really make a very key point. The physical activators are fun, and if you're sitting right now, let me invite you to just stand up. This one in the book we call underwear adjustment. (laughs) Usually get a few chuckles on that, and then I tell people, no, actually what I want you to do, and do this if you're listening to the call, get up on your tiptoes and reach for the ceiling right now. Get as close to the ceiling as you can. If you're holding a phone, don't drop it, but hold your other arm out or hold your arms out so that you're reaching towards the walls. And I tell, tell people, see if you can touch the walls on either side. And get your arms moving in a circular motion. Get those shoulders moving. Just to have fun, I usually tell people, get your hips moving. Mm-hmm. Probably have a little bit of music going on here. And then I say, if you're really good, touch your toes. <laughs> laughter. And uh, thank you. High five your neighbor. Say I'm glad you're here and have a seat. And again, I think we don't I think we underestimate the value of movement Mm -hmm. in the classroom. Most of our training is too cerebral and too sedentary. And what we know is when we get the body moving, we get more blood flow, the brain gets more oxygen, people will learn more. Mm -hmm. So just occasionally doing something like that, especially afternoons or long sessions or even if you're doing evening sessions, that would be something you might do.
0: Following those very high-calorie, high-fat lunches as well. Right. <laughs> well, well, thanks for those. Those are just excellent examples. And um, you started to talk about closing and we're, we've reached that point. Um, uh, we mentioned earlier in the call that we would be sharing one of the activities from SCORE as a thank you for each of you attending today. And our final activity is, is um, the one that you are going to be receiving following today's session. So I, I say that because there's a lot of detail to this, and I want you to be able to fully participate and not be trying to, you know, frantically write notes. Uh, you're going to receive this following today's session, and uh, this particular activity is called the Mind Reader Close, and Rich, would you uh, would you lead us through this this activity?
1: Thank you very much. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we've been together for 45 minutes, and I think I'm really getting connected to you all now, and so I have a sense that I could probably read your mind. Mm -hmm. So in a moment, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. I promise this won't hurt or it won't embarrass you in any way, but I'd like you to not write anything down, but close your eyes and just follow along through this exercise. So uh, telephone audience, if you'd be willing to participate, thank you for doing this. Go ahead and close your eyes, and I'm going to ask you to do some exercises with me. First of all, Mentally choose a number between one and ten. Please do not select one or ten, but any number in between. Now multiply that number by nine. You should now have a two-digit number. Then if you would add those two digits together, please. Add those two digits together. Again, you should have a one-digit number, and now you're going to subtract 5 from that number subtract 5 from that number with your number in mind please now turn your number into a letter here's how you do this it's fairly easy if you have number 1 your letter is A if you have number 2 your letter is B number 3 your letter is C number 4 your letter is D and so forth turn your current letter number into a letter now Now, think of a country in Europe that starts with that letter. Next, take the last letter of that country and use it as the first letter of an animal. The last letter of that country and use it as the first letter of an animal. And finally, use the last letter of the animal you just thought of to name a color, to name a color. The last letter of the animal to name a ka Oh, I'm getting a real strong sense here, Susan and group. Um, what I can tell you all is that there are no orange kangaroos in Denmark. <laughs>
0: You're pretty good.
1: Usually we get about 70% on that. Once in a while we'll get an aqua koala. <laughs> in uh, Denmark or uh, something in Deutschland but um, usually there's about a 50 to 70% and then I would use that to say something like um, you know I was able to read your mind about that, what I'm really reading your mind about right now is how excited you are to go and use these things that we've learned today about customer service so let's go out and make XYZ better because we serve our customers better And I'm always looking for a way to tie what my closing was back to the content and using that as my ending piece.
0: Wow. Thank you, uh, Rich, for putting all of these great ideas in your book. And we've barely scratched the surface and with all of the wonderful ideas contained in this work and we uh, just so much appreciate your willingness to share so freely with, with all of us uh, on the call today. Uh, to order a copy of Rich's book, you can call him again directly. Um, his telephone number is area code 952-446. One five eight six, or you can order his book from his website. Uh, his website is meeseducation.com, and I'd like to spell mees because it's uh, maybe not what you would expect. It's M E I S S, mees M E I S S education.com. We'll be sending out this contact information once again following the session today along with a copy of the closing exercise that Rich just shared with us so that you have all of the details of that exercise and can use it immediately. Um, be, before we open up the floor uh, in uh, the last few minutes, any questions or, or comments, i just like to mention, a uh, highlight for you, our March and April editions of bookends will be featuring two different authors who have written on the DISC model of behavior. On March the 7th, we will be hosting Arnie Wall. Warren's wonderful disc novel called The Great Connection. Uh, The Great Connection is now in 12 languages and is in its 13th printing. And on April the 23rd, we will be hosting Julie Straw, who is the author of The Four-Dimensional Manager. And this is a, a disc book on a management perspective and application. We hope you'll visit our website, teamapproach.com, to register for our upcoming Meet the Author events. And if you're not on our coming events listserv uh, or our Meet the Author mailing list, you can subscribe to either of these lists on the uh, free button, the free stuff button you'll find on our website. I now uh, would like to open the floor to any questions or comments that you might have for our author, Rich Meese, and uh, I invite you again to unmute your your telephone and introduce yourself as you ask a question or or make a comment. Rich, uh, my name is Phil Cleeman. I work for the Department of Navy, and uh, Susan, thank you so much for sending me this invitation. I really had, uh, I learned a lot today, and I appreciate the information that Rich just shared. I'd like to get your book. I'm wondering if it's something that we can get in a bookstore or do we have to do it online or by telephone?
1: Thank you for asking. So far we don't have bookstore distribution. We sell the book through our company, Mies Education Institute. The Bob Pike Group also carries it. But uh, if you go to our website, we're going to actually I wanted to mention that um, my sales manager named Barbara <laughs> said let's give people a really good buy on the book. It's normally $39. But for our friends today on this call, uh, we've reoriented our website, so it's $29. So um, when you click on our website, you'll see a place to go to product, and uh, the uh, book will be there. So, yes, it is only available on our website.
0: Okay. What kind of a turnaround time are we looking at for shipment?
1: You you tell us. We'll make it work
0: for you. I'm anxious because I've got a class coming up in a couple weeks, and I'd love to use some of your materials.
1: You, You tell us when you'd like it. We'll make sure we get it to you.
0: Okay, great. Thank you so much. Thank you for
1: asking. Thanks for being on the call. Thanks, Susan. Mm -hmm. Thank you.
0: Other questions or comments for Rich?
1: Hi, Susan and Rich. My name's Tina, and uh, I would just really like to
0: thank you guys for putting this together today. And, Rich, I do a lot of traveling for my job, and I got a a lot of really good ideas for things that I can do that I can actually pack in my suitcase, Mm -hmm. uh, like the balloon exercise, Uh, because I can put that together on site, and all I need is just a pack of balloons before I go. So I really appreciate that, and I got a lot of good ideas that I think I'll be able to apply pretty much immediately. So
1: thank you. Thank you, Tina. Great to have you on the call. For those of us who travel, it's nice to have things that are pretty easy and the materials, and for the most part, we try to keep to a minimum. Mm
0: Well, well, again, I, I, uh, you know, invite you to connect with uh, Rich following the session. We've uh, provided his contact information, and we'll be providing it again. If you have any questions or or comments, I'm sure that Rich would love to hear from you. I uh, do hope that you will uh, uh, purchase his book. I know it will be an excellent addition to your personal uh, library as a training uh, and learning practitioner, and I want to thank you again, Rich, for being our guest today on Bookends and sharing all of the wonderful ideas and expertise Uh, that you have uh, gathered and um, um, really perfected through the years. Next month, uh, again, we'll be featuring Arnie Warren on bookends, and I hope that you will join us for that session. Thanks again, and hope to see you all next month.